Adam tonight and how Adam uh, connects with points to the events in Jesus' life. Uh, what we've learned about typology is that it is basically an event that actually happened in the Old Testament that either connects with something in the New Testament, points to something at the New Testament, foreshadows something in the New Testament, or fulfills something in the New Testament, uh, usually in the person of Jesus Christ. And so tonight what we're going to find is that there are several different typologies that exist. One of those, and the most common, is where you see a person or an event, and the things that happen there are kind of a foreshadowing to what Christ does later in his life. Um, there's a likeness that, that is their connection. But tonight what you're going to find in the minority is that there is some typology that is called a contrasting typology. And it's basically saying what Adam could not do that Jesus was able to do. And so it's showing a contrasting event here. And so what you're going to see tonight is probably the first two or three different um, uh, points. You're going to see the contrast there where, um, or excuse me, you're going to see the likeness there. And then the following regarding Adam, you're going to see the differences or the contrast where Adam did X, but Jesus did Y. And so tonight, just as a reminder, um, why the study of typology is so important. Um, if you remember in the latter part of the book of John, uh, there are two men that are walking down this road. It's called the road of Emmaus. And they're walking and they're talking about all the events that have just happened. Jesus has, you know, died in Jerusalem, but now the tomb is empty. There's speculation that he's risen from the dead. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. They don't know that it's Jesus yet, but he shows up. And the Bible says they walk for seven miles together. And in their journey of seven miles, Jesus begins to talk to them about the law, about the prophets, about the Old Testament scriptures. And the Bible says that he opened the scriptures and he showed them all things of the Old Testament that were concerning the Messiah. And the Bible says something phenomenal, which is really the ultimate purpose of why we do studies in typology. The Bible says that as they listen to Jesus show himself to them in the, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that their hearts burned within them. And that's the purpose of why we do typology. That's the purpose. We want to see Jesus through every thread of scripture so that as we read, even in Old Testament, may our hearts burn within us. Amen. So tonight we're going to go ahead and jump in talking about uh, Adam. Uh, Paul would write in the book of Romans chapter 5, he would, he would put it very plainly. He would say this. He would say, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. In other words, he was saying, listen, Adam was a type of Jesus. This is where we get the phraseology typology. He was a type of Jesus. And so we're going to go ahead and jump into our notes. Number one in your notes, you'll see here a likeness between Adam and Christ. What you see in your notes is that Adam was the head of the old creation, just as Jesus is the head of the new creation. So scripture says this, it says, for as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Okay, so Paul's saying here, he's saying, look, because of Adam's disobedience, we were all made sinners. This is the, uh, the doctrine that we call original sin. It's super dense and complex, but in a nutshell, it basically means this. When Adam rebelled in the garden, Adam's sin not only affected him, 
but it affected all people for all of history. It affects every person. In other words, every one of us that were born after Adam, we all have sin that courses through our spiritual veins. It's the doctrine of original sin. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying that that Adam was a representative of the human race. And as the representative or the head of the human race, when he sinned, all of that sin trickled down all the way to us today. Now, in contrast, what he does, the very next verse here, so in the beginning he says, he says, for as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. On the other hand, he says, and so by Christ's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so what he's saying, he's saying, look, there's an old, there's an old creation, and then there's a new creation. Every person that's ever been born falls into the old creation. But those who are born again are new creations, and all of us have a choice. This is why scripture would say, whosoever would come, that Christ will receive them. And so we understand, uh, according to Paul's writings here in Romans 5, that Adam was the head of the old creation just as Christ is the head of the new creation. Next, what we find is that Adam was to reign over all the earth just as Jesus was to reign over all the earth. So if you remember in the opening chapters of Genesis, this is what the Lord says to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And he uses this phrase. He says, rule over it. Rule over the animals, the fish, the birds of the air. Rule over the world. But then when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, the earth began an upheaval. The beasts became violent towards one another and towards people. And so all of a sudden, the corruption of sin has now filled the earth. And so Adam cannot have dominion over the earth in the way that God had designed him to have dominion over the earth. And so what we find is that there is coming a day, though, when Christ will bring back that dominion to the earth. The Bible says in Revelation 20, that Christ will reign for a thousand years. This is what we call the, the thousand years of peace or the, uh, the millennial reign of Christ. And the good news is this, is that scripture indicates that we will help him reign over all things. And so what's going to happen is that even though we live in a corrupted world now where we don't exactly have the proper dominion over all things, there's coming a day where we will. And it's all because of the leadership that Christ is going to bring, and we're going to follow suit. And so Adam was to reign over all the earth just as Jesus will reign over all the earth. Number three, Adam was put to sleep to produce Eve just as Jesus was put to death to produce the church. So you've got this understanding where Adam is, is put to sleep to get his bride, in a sense, and Christ is put to death so that he can have his bride, which is the church. And so what you'll find when you begin digging into this a little bit is that you'll find that the, the rib that the Lord took from Adam was, was created, Eve was created out of that rib. It was a puncture wound in his side. The Bible says that the Lord put Adam into a deep sleep. He opened up his side, took the rib, and from the rib he made the woman. Well... Later in the, in the New Testament, what we're going to see is Christ hanging on a cross. When the soldiers are not sure if Jesus is dead or not, what do they do? They take a spear and they put a puncture in his side. 
when he is punctured in his side, the Bible says that blood and water begin to flow out of Christ. Now, the blood and water are representative of the church in this way. The blood is the communion that we share. You remember as Jesus is at the Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper, he shares the cup and he says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. And so as he is punctured, the blood flows, which represents communion. But the Bible also says something very strange. It says that, but then water begins to flow as well, which is not common for a person who has died. That water is representative of water baptism. And so what we find is that in the same way that, that Adam was put to sleep to get his bride, Jesus had to be put to death in order to get his bride. And they both received puncture wounds from their side to get their bride. It's, a, it's a, a foreshadowing, it's a picture of what Christ would bring that we see in the opening chapters of Genesis. Number four in your notes, we find that Adam made a way for condemnation and death while Jesus made a way for justification and life. Again, notice the contrast here. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Uh, Romans uh, 5.14 says this. It says that death reigned from the time of Adam. In other words, since Adam, death was the culprit. It was alive and well. It was conquering not only the earth, but it was conquering people. And what we understand is that even today, for those who are without Christ, death still rules within them. Death is, uh, when, when we are born into this life, we're born as sinners, and we are born spiritually dead. And the only way to salvation is through life in Christ Jesus. And so in, in one sense, what Paul says is, look, uh, uh, death is reigning, and it's, it's reigned all the way since the beginning, right? Paul pushes home this point of human depravity, of original sin, because what he's trying to stress is the need of a savior, right? Uh, I remember a few years ago, I had the privilege to, to speak here on a Sunday morning, and uh, I was preaching basically this, this idea, this concept. I was trying to help uh, people understand the weightiness, the gravity, the depravity of our souls, and the sin that, that we are born into in order to help people understand the hope that we have in Christ, Right? So it's this whole idea that um, we cannot really understand the grace that we've been given until we understand the judgment that we deserve. Right? And so to stress this point, I, I mean, I'm just spending, you know, 25 minutes talking about the depravity of humankind, and I keep using the phrase, you know, we're terrible people. You're a terrible person. Uh, most people think they're born good people, but that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are desperately wicked and we are away from God. There's no one good, not even one. And, and I'm stressing this. And um, the next day, I, uh, I find uh, I'm out and about and I run into somebody and apparently they had never been to our church before. And I'm thinking, great. And uh, they come over to me and I can tell they don't remember my name. And they're like, um... Um, I'm a terrible person. And I'm like, yep, that's me. That's me. My name's Corey, you know, but that's what they remembered. But the point is, is that that's what Paul's trying to drive home, is that we are born not terrific people. We are born terrible people. We are born, uh, the writer uh, uh, Jeremiah would say that, that our heart is deceitful and our heart is wicked. And the only hope for our souls 
is in Christ Jesus. And so this is the case that Paul begins to build. The way of Adam leads to condemnation and it leads to death. But then in the very next verse, this is what he says, but the gift of grace came from the one man, Jesus Christ, to overflow to many. So in Adam, we have death. But in Jesus, we have what he would say in the book of John, he would say springs of living water that flow from within us. And so we get the contrast here, the differences of the way of Adam and the way of Jesus. Number five in your notes, uh, we find that Adam was tempted and he failed, while Jesus was tempted and he was faithful. In Genesis 3, what we find is Adam and Eve in the garden living their life. Uh, Some scholars say that they may have lived, uh, you know, the spectrum is all over the place, some believe that Adam and Eve only lived a few days in the garden before they fell into sin. Others believe it could have been several decades um, that they lived. Nobody knows for sure, but the point is, is that they find themselves in a moment where there is a tree set before them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says a serpent comes, Lucifer, and he comes to deceive them. And what is the principle of what's going on here is that the tree is a test for Adam and Eve. It's a test of obedience for Adam and Eve. And I know that there are people sometimes who will look at that and they will say, well, if God is all-knowing and if God knew that Adam and Eve would fail the test of obedience, why did God put a tree in the garden to begin with? Why did God even give them that choice? And although I understand what's being said there, I think that we've got to be careful when we're asking questions like that. Not that we shouldn't ask questions. I think we should ask questions. But we got to be careful when we're asking questions like that because sometimes if we're not careful in our hearts, those questions can become accusations against the Lord. It can become a a moment where in our hearts it, it almost makes God out to be criminal or that he did something mischievous or deceitful or he set us up to fail or something like that. But the bottom line of the bottom line is simply this. God set a garden or a tree in the garden and he gave them the opportunity to obey or to disobey for one reason, because God wanted a human race, not a robot race. He wanted a race of people who would willingly choose to live for him, who would worship him freely in spirit and in truth, people who would choose him over darkness. And so it was necessary. And so though Adam failed when he was tempted, we see Jesus in a desert place. The Bible says at a certain age, after Jesus comes up out of water baptism, that the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness, and there he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by by Satan himself. Uh, This is a whole teaching in and of itself, but what we find as a result of this temptation of Jesus is that he succeeded in an incredible way. Listen to what Hebrews says in chapter 4. Uh, The writer says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, the high priest being Jesus, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so again, we have this contrast, Adam, he's tempted, he fails, Jesus, he's tempted and he succeeds and he sets a model for us. Number six in your notes, we find that Adam turned from the Father in the Garden of Eden, while Jesus turned to the Father 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a uh, very common battle that you and I face today. It's the battle of wills. It's either the idea of my will be done or thy will be done. And we find both of these in the life of Jesus and in Adam. Adam says, my will be done. I know you said don't eat of the fruit, but I'm going to take of the fruit. And he does. And we see Jesus in the garden and he's saying, listen, I don't want to drink from this cup. I don't want to go through this pain. I don't want to go through this suffering. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so again, we see this contrast between the two uh, representatives of the human race. Number seven in your notes says, Adam was naked and unashamed while Jesus was naked and bore our shame. Okay? Uh, Genesis 2 is what Scripture says. And the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked and were not ashamed. Later what we find, once they rebel against the Lord, we find that now all of a sudden their nakedness, they're ashamed. And so they feel the need to cover themselves with fig leaves. And the Lord asks this question, how did you know that you were naked? And so this shame that comes upon them, and, and listen, you, can, you talk about original sin and how sin trickles down. Shame trickles down through human history as well. You think about your little ones. I've, I've got a house full of little ones, right? And, and there have been times where, you know, I may be with a, a two-year-old and, you know, I'm changing their clothes or something, and a, a, a sibling walks in who may be older and instinctively sometimes, not every time, but instinctively sometimes, little ones will instantly kind of guard themselves. Well, they don't know. Nobody's ever taught them to do that, right? But it's this instinctive thing when it comes to nakedness and a shame that is associated with it. And so we see in Adam and Eve that there is a nakedness and um, they're originally they're unashamed. But then we see Jesus who is naked and he bears our shame. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, again, he would say, look, uh, Jesus uh, despised the shame of the cross. He despised the fact that he was going to be virtually naked on a cross. He despised that. But for the glory that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross for us. Isaiah 53 goes into this uh, depiction of Jesus and, and how ashamed that uh, the shame that he kind of took on himself, even in his physical appearance, it goes on and on and on. But the point is, is that Jesus was attempting to undo what Adam had done indirectly. Number eight in your notes, what we see is that Adam brought thorns into the world while Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Genesis 3.18 says, uh, this is the Lord speaking after they had sinned against God. Uh, he is issuing consequences to them. He's already covered their sin and their shame, but now he is issuing consequences to them. And one of the consequences was this. He says, the Lord will produce thorns and thistles for you. So as you're working for your food, you're going to have to fight against thorns. And so as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, it, it not only broke them, it broke the world. It broke creation. And so now we're having to contend with things that we didn't have to contend with in the first place. Well, later in the Gospels, what we see is Jesus, as he's preparing to be taken to the cross, uh, Scripture says that they wove together thorn, a crown of thorns, and they placed it into his scalp. 
And they set it on as a means of torture, as a means of, of inflicting pain on Jesus. And I know that oftentimes we may look at that and we may say, well, that's kind of a sign of Jesus' weakness that he submitted to something like that. And though I understand that, um, I may push back a little bit on that and say that was not so much a, a sign of weakness as it was a symbol of Jesus' strength in this. That Jesus allowing them to put the thorn, the crown of thorns, into his scalp, he was making a statement that he was now the king of the thorns. He was now going to uh, allow this to happen because he had conquered the thorns, right? And so we, we need to make sure that, that even as we look through these things in the Gospels, to make sure that we see them in the perspective of the whole of Scripture, and hopefully they will become more and more clear for us uh, as we go through. And then finally, number nine in your notes, is Adam tried to become like God while Jesus became like man. Adam tried to become like God. Genesis 3, this is the serpent speaking. This is what he says. He says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. And therefore, Adam proceeded to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because he wanted to become like God. In contrast, we see God becoming a person. Uh, Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 through 8, Scripture says this, have, have the same mindset that Christ Jesus has, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, becoming made or being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did Adam want to become like God? Pride. Why did God want to become like man? Humility. The reality is this, is that Jesus chose to become like us, not only to identify with our weaknesses, but so that he could be an appropriate substitution for us, so that in his death, in his suffering, we would not have to die. We would not have suffering. We would be delivered eternally, in a sense, through salvation that he bought for us on the cross. The following uh, four, really quickly, I will not expound upon, but I'm just going to uh, read these off really quickly, and you can uh, look further in your study. Number 10 is this, is that Adam sinned at a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, while Jesus bore our sins on a tree. Number 11, Adam died for his sin while Jesus died for the sins of others. Number 12, Adam was the first husband to Eve while Jesus is the last husband. We are the bride of Christ. There will be a consummation in heaven, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb between Christ and his bride. And then finally, number 13, we find that Adam died and returned to the ground while Jesus died and returned to heaven. And so tonight, that concludes our, uh, our typology and the connections between Adam and Christ. Uh, honestly, this, this study could go weeks in and of itself because Paul has so much to say. Uh, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on. I hope you'll join us soon as we uh, talk about the lives of Abraham and Isaac. Amen.